This is Come and See from St. Andrew's Anglican Church for Sunday, October 25th, 2015. The Gospel is taken from the book of Mark, chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. The message is by Father Ron Baird. In today's Gospel lesson, we have a somewhat familiar story, um, at least one that we've heard of for the most part, and that's the story of blind Bartimaeus. And it seems pretty straightforward on the surface because you read it and it says that the guy called out to Jesus to have mercy on him and Jesus asked him what he wanted and he said he wanted to see again. So Jesus gives him his sight and all's well and that's kind of the end of the story. Except that there's a lot more going on in this story than what uh, if you just do a, a surface reading of it would tell you. Uh, first of all is Bartimaeus's name itself, um, which is somewhat unusual because um, Bartimaeus is not a first name. It's a last name. Um, and just much like we now have names like Peterson and Johnson and things like that, um, Bartimaeus meant son of Timaeus. So um, Bartimaeus was his last name, not his first name. We never hear what his first name is. And what's unusual is that in Mark here, he for some reason seems to think it's important to tell you that twice. Because he says he's Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. As though you wouldn't get that from Bartimaeus to begin with. But, um, and so he's accenting that, and that tells us right off the bat that he's trying to get our attention and tell us there's something particular about what this man's name is that's important. The other thing that's about it, if, if you read the rest of the healing stories in Mark, nobody else ever gets a name. Um, this is the only one who is ever named in Mark. Um, and even here we don't get his Christian name or his first name. So it's just his, um, just Bartimaeus. And, and what, the reason why that's important is you have to go back to the root of his father's name, which is Timaeus. Timaeus means one of honor, a person of honor. And it tells us something more about um, who Bartimaeus is and where he comes from than what most names would do. For Timaeus to be named son of honor in those days meant that he was probably came from a privileged class of people, was probably pretty wealthy, um, may even have had some ties to the noble class somewhere or other, um, but certainly was prominent in Jericho and well-known by people. And so the story of Bartimaeus is an interesting one then off, right off the bat, because here you have the son who grew up in luxury. Um, we know that he had been able to see because he asked to regain his sight later, and, and he grew up in luxury and prosperity, and now he's sitting on the side of a road dirty and begging. You know, and it makes you wonder. And, and it's quite possible that it has happened with a lot of people in those days that when you no longer could be productive in your family, um, that the father, if they, because a lot of times families weren't very close, um, would basically you were no use to him anymore. And they'd just turn you out on the streets. And so he was out there begging, sitting in the dirt, you know, doing nothing but asking people to give him a handout so that he could get something to eat that day. Nothing else to look forward to. Day after day, that was his life. He would get up. Can you imagine what that would be like to go from you know, being a very wealthy young man to being in poverty, you know, and not even by your own choice, but you know, because of circumstances, and not have anybody really admire you and respect you? You can imagine that when he was young, you know, all the girls swooned over him, and you know, everybody you know, made over him because he was like the, the golden child. But once he became blind, he fell out of favor. And nobody wanted to have anything to do with him anymore. And so he just sits by the side of the road. So Jesus has come to Jericho, and he's on his way out of Jericho when 
Bartimaeus hears that Jesus is coming by. And so he, he does something else that's unusual, not so much on the surface of it, but, but the wording that he uses is strange. He says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, son of David is a very specific term in, in Messianic literature, and it means the Messiah, the anointed one of God. So for him to automatically start off by claiming Jesus is the son of David is a pretty remarkable statement. And we've seen a couple of these just recently in our studies of Mark as we've gone through just in the past two months. Uh, the first is we had Peter, if you remember, back at Caesarea Philippi when Jesus said, who do men say that I am? And, you know, and then who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And of course, Peter's the first one to recognize him as the, the Messiah. And Jesus you know, tells him that his name from thenceforth will be Peter, the rock on whom I will build my church. And then he demotes him to Satan right away because um, Peter decides he's going to, now that he's second in command, he's going to take over and sort of help the Lord with his problems, you know, because God has problems with his problems and he needs all our help as much as he can get. And so he immediately tells him, you can't go to be crucified. You know, God forbid it. And he is a rebuke by, um, by Jesus. And then we have, um, they were arguing on the way back from Caesarea Philippi to Capernaum, about who was the greatest among them. And Jesus tried to teach him a lesson about those who would be greatest must be least. And, and that didn't exactly work for James and John. So they decided a different tact, which we talked about last week, which is they said they're going to go ask Jesus very directly for what they want. And they say, Master, we want you to give us whatever um, we ask of you when you come in your glory. Jesus looks at him and says, what do you want? <laughs> uh, and they, they said, we want to be seated one on your right hand and one on your left. Now those are the two prime positions next to the king. Those are the people who have the king's ear, who's going to be the, the chief advisors to the king, if you will. Um, and it's interesting, as we talked about, uh, Jesus said, well, number one, that's not for me to give. That's already been doled out. Number two is, I don't think you'd really want it if I could give it to you, because my glory is at the cross. You know, and I don't think you want to be on the right and left of me then. But again, you have uh, James and John, who, if you notice, have sort of edged Peter out of the whole conversation at this point. I guess they figured once he got demoted to Satan, everything was fair game. And so they're jockeying for a position. And they recognize that he's the Messiah because they, they talk about him when he comes into his glory. So clearly they, they think something big's going to happen. And they're trying to set themselves up. Um, in the midst of this. And then you have Bartimaeus, who's just sitting on the side of the road, who recognizes Jesus as the Messiah, the son of David. Now, it says when he cries out to him, it's an interesting term, you know, they, they said he called out to him or cried out to him, Jesus have mercy on me, and he did it louder. The, the word that's used for cried out here is not phoneo, from which we get phonetics, which is the usual word for speaking or something. This word is basically could be translated like the squawk of a raven. So basically he croaked out. <laughs> Jesus, have, you know, he was desperate. You know, he, 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 he had lost all decorum and just blurts this out. And when the crowd tries to tell him to shut up because he's being really, you know, obnoxious, um, it says Jesus does something interesting. Did y'all notice what it was? What did Jesus do the second time he cried out? He did something else first, though. He stopped. 
And you can almost see that in a very, he's like he's walking along, everybody knows he goes, and just stops. And then it says, Jesus cried out with a loud voice. This is the finale, though, but he's speaking loudly to the crowd because remember, they're telling the guy to shut up. And he tells them something odd. Call him and tell him to come to me. The guy's blind. <laughs> you know, why in the world is he saying, tell him to come to me? Yeah. Tell him to come over here. <laughs> you know, how's he supposed to get there? Yeah, he's blind. It's sort of an odd thing, isn't it? Why would you say, tell him to come to me? He doesn't say, where is he? I'll go to him or anything. He doesn't say, bring him to me. He says, tell him to come to me. And so the crowd then changes tunes. Sort of like the latest public opinion polls of the presidential race. If you notice, every week they change drastically into a different direction. It always amazes me. These people are either very wishy-washy or they're not doing a very good job polling. I don't know which. Because uh, they can switch by 8% as to which candidate they're supporting in any given week. Which is astounding to me. But, so um, here um, he... he um, they go to him, and they've now switched sides, and they say, take heart, he's calling you. Now, we've heard take heart before in the scriptures too, haven't we? Remember when Jesus told the disciples to take heart? Remember what he was doing? They were very afraid. They were out in the middle of a storm on the water, and Jesus came walking to them across the water, and they thought it was a ghost. And it's Jesus who says, take heart. It's one of the few times in Scripture we see that particular phrase used together. So it's interesting that they use that. There's no real explanation in here as to why, but take heart, they say. And then the man does something that's just unbelievable. Now, in our translation, it says, throwing off his cloak, he jumped up and, and went to Jesus. As though he weren't blind, number one. But uh, two is that in the Greek, throwing off his cloak is... I mean, that's, it's an adequate translation, but it doesn't quite capture the real feel of it. It says, casting away his cloak. It means he flung it off of him and just threw it. Now, blind people don't do that. You know what happens to blind people? They just throw things wherever. They can't find them anymore. I mean, they're not like us. You know, we'll walk in and the nearest empty spot, things get put down or whatever. But, but they can't see. So they're very methodical about where they put things so that they always know where it is so they can go back and get it, which makes perfect sense. This man isn't doing this with his cloak. And he's doing it in the middle of a crowd, which means that somebody could take his cloak. And the cloak is probably the most valuable possession he has because it's the only thing to protect him from the weather at all. But he just casts it away. I always have this image in my mind of somebody in a crowd ending up with this cloak landing on top of their head. You know, wondering, oh, what's going on? And then it says that he, he jumped up and went to Jesus. The, the Greek here says that he sprang forward. Now think of this. You've got a blind guy who just springs and leaps toward Jesus. Now he knows where toward Jesus is because he can hear, so he has a sense of direction about that. But what is the most likely thing to happen to a blind person who spring, jumps up and springs towards something in the middle of a crowd? Yeah, they're probably going to fall flat on their face, aren't they? This guy didn't care. The minute he has the opportunity, he's taking it and he's going. And then it says, Jesus asks him a question, what do you want from me? Now, interesting, it's the same question he asked James and John, isn't it? Except this guy does not say, 
that he wants anything like